0: We're walking through the book of Genesis, which is made up of these two main parts.
1: And the first part begins in the garden where we watch humanity spiral downward in self-destruction. And it ends in the Tower of Babel where a rebellious humanity is
0: scattered by God. Then the second part of Genesis zooms in and focuses on just one family. And right in the middle is this story that links the two parts of
1: Genesis together and helps us understand what the whole book is all about. So how do we get from the Tower of Babel to the story here in the middle? Well, after the scattering at Babel, there's this genealogy and it follows one of the tribes all the way down to this one guy named Abram. You probably know him as Abraham. And God starts making all these promises to Abraham, like he's going to bless him and give him a ton of kids. And he says that through him and his family all the nations of the earth are now going to find God's blessing. So basically, God is trying to restore humanity back to the goodness of the garden— and to his original intentions for the world. So it's like his rescue plan for humanity. And that's why the whole second half of Genesis is about this one family. And so you have, you have Abraham, and then he has a son Isaac, who has Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons. And to each generation, God renews his promise to bless them and all nations through them.
0: So because of this promise to use this family to rescue the world, it's pretty easy to read these stories as examples of how to be a good person. But actually,
1: for the most part, this family is totally dysfunctional. So for example, let's go back to Abraham. This whole story is about God giving him and his wife Sarah a family, but two different times. He basically gives Sarah away to other men by denying that she's even his wife. And then Sarah gets impatient about having a son, and so she makes Abraham sleep with her servant girl, which then causes all of these other problems in the
0: family. So they get really old, and you begin to think that there's no way they're going to have a kid of their own. But then, miraculously, they do. It's Isaac.
1: And Isaac, he has two sons, Esau and Jacob, and it seems like things are
0: going pretty good. But Jacob the younger brother, wants the family's inheritance, which belongs to Esau, the older brother. So he devises a plan where he's going to steal it from his father, Isaac, who at this point in the story is now old and blind. Which who does that horrible stealing from your blind father? Yeah, and then he just takes off.
1: So Jacob goes on from there to have 12 sons, big family. But Jacob loves his 11th son, Joseph, way more than all the others. And so he gives him the special technicolor dreamcoat, and his brothers, because of this, come to hate him. So much so that they plan on killing him. But they don't. They instead just sell him as a slave down
0: in Egypt. Now, while in Egypt, through this crazy series of events, Joseph goes from being in a prison cell to becoming the second in command there. And so later on, the, the whole Middle East falls into this food shortage,
1: and Joseph's brothers, they come down to Egypt looking for food. And then when they get
0: there... Who should they find as the ruler of the whole land? It's Joseph, that guy they sold into slavery, but he actually saves them from starving to death.
1: And so here you have it. These are the great-grandchildren of Abraham who have done this heinous act to their brother, but God has transformed their evil into something
0: good. And that's exactly what Joseph says here in the last paragraph of the entire book. He says, you guys planned all of this for evil, but God planned it, good to save people's lives.
1: Now these words, they conclude the book because they actually summarize the message of the whole story so far. Humans keep choosing evil and we are thinking they're, they're screwing up God's plan, but he keeps turning their evil back into good. And somehow he's going to use this
0: family to restore humanity back to the garden. So that's the book of Genesis. But we still don't know how exactly he's going to use this family to bring us back to the garden.
1: Well, yeah, but this is just the first book. So that's what the rest of the Bible sets out to answer.
2: The Bible story. It's not a story about legends. It's not a story of make-believe or niceties. It's a raw story about a real world that you and I live in. And for us, we've been on a journey in the last few weeks, and will continue to be so, to understand the overarching story of God that comes from this book, the Bible. And guess what? It's not just about the story of God, and maybe if you grew up in church, some of the stories that you were just reminded of with uh, that Bible Project video, it's it's a story that you are living in, and it's unfolding right now. It's your life story, as well as the story of God. I remember growing up in Sunday school, and there was uh, a particular song that they would sometimes have us sing and i found it quite annoying i don't know if you heard this song but it had to do with abraham and uh that's where our story has uh sort of taken ourselves last week and as we step into this morning but it simply said father abraham had many sons many sons had father abraham any of you know that song It's annoying. Can you have a feel for how annoying that would be? And they would sing it over and over and over again. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, and I was one of them, is what the next phrase was. And though it might have been an annoying song for me as a little kid, the reality is it's true. Father Abraham had many sons, and I am one of them because I am this ongoing story. In fact, in Galatians 3.29, it says this, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That means it doesn't have anything to do with your ethnicity, um, your social, um, uh, economic status your gender. It has to do with your faith. And if you have faith in Christ, then you are a part of the lineage of Abraham. And you are a son and daughter of him. And you are heirs. Guess what? You're heirs to something pretty big. And what you're heirs to is the promise. And last week, we looked at what that promise is. It's real clear in Genesis 12. Genesis 12 verses 2 and 3. God came to Abraham and said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I don't know if you get lost sometimes in... Uh, the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament. But Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3 are pretty important. They're really pivotal. And we looked at them last week. I'd encourage you to underline them in your Bible or highlight them on your electronic device, whatever it may be, because this promise was not just for Abraham and the Israelites. This promise is for you and I, because we are an extension, if we have faith in Christ, of Abraham's seed. And the promise is this, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. And so that's God's interest. But he's not going to bless you and I so that we can be self-centered. He's blessing you and I to bring glory to him, but that we can bless other people. And we meander through all kinds of problems in life, highs and lows, and we get ourselves in some pretty bad situations, and sometimes we get out of those situations, and we go from one job maybe to another, and we, we have this confusion in life sometimes because we're just bumbling through. Now, that may not be you this morning. I'm not saying that of anybody in particular, but I've had bumbling times in my life, and I have to come back and recenter on this truth. That there's a bigger story going on than my little story that I'm caught up in. And I need to recenter myself on the story of God. And the story of God is he's calling out a people of his very own, eager to do what is good. As we said from Titus last week, and that people of his very own are those who are followers of God. And God chose to go all the way back to Abraham to restore the brokenness that went all the way back to Adam and Eve. He's working a restoration story. Any of you ever do restoration in a house? Trying to fix it up from being broken down or restoring a car or something like that? Well, the story that we need to recenter ourselves into is a master narrative. The one who's writing the play, who's, who's uh, creating the drama, he has taken it from the beginning through Adam and Eve the fallenness, the Tower of Babel, Noah before that, Abraham he calls. And then from Abraham, we step out of the book of Genesis and into the book of Exodus. The Israelites had found themselves in Egypt. They were sort of favored immigrant status. But then Pharaoh, Pharaoh turned on him, as often happens in the history of mankind and civilization. He took the Israelites and used and abused them as slaves to build some of his cities. And then he called them out as this minority, which is really growing to be very large, and, and he began to Make them the bad guys so he could try to look like a good guy. You see that happening with dictators even today. And the Israelites found themselves at a difficult place. And God was not going to abandon the Israelites and you and I in this master story. Blessed to be a blessing, God was still at work. You ever thought... I wonder what Jesus would do if he came and spoke to us. Well, this verse in Luke twenty-four twenty-seven says this. Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning him. This was Jesus after he was raised from the dead. He was found along the road to a little town called Emmaus. And they were all dejected and down because Jesus, their hope for Messiah, had died on a cruel cross. And so their hopes, as Israelites, of God's redemption were crushed. And Jesus showed up and walked among them, and they didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus, what does he do? He takes the scripture. He goes back to the master narrative, the story of all that God's doing. Ab and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. But in this particular moment, it says that he went beginning with the story of Moses. And began to unfold the scriptures for them. So with that. We're going to pick it back up. Almost like Jesus did. And doing a little bit of a master narrative. Quick run through. They didn't have the video and the technology then. But I almost think that Jesus might have pulled out his iPhone. And said let me show you a little bit more of the story. We can do that. So we're going to continue the story. With the Bible project for a few moments. Here's Moses.
0: Let's talk about the book of Exodus. Now, you're probably familiar with this book because of the epic story of Moses leading Israel out of slavery from Egypt. Yeah, but that's just the first half of the book.
1: The second half has Moses giving the Ten Commandments to Israel, along with these blueprints for making a sacred tent. Now, right here in the middle is this story that connects these two halves together, and it all takes place at the foot of a famous mountain.
0: Okay, so let's start back at the beginning. So the first thing we have to remember is we're continuing the story from Genesis. Yeah, in Genesis, God promised Abraham that through his family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Genesis ends with Abraham's family down in Egypt. When Exodus begins, 400 years have passed. The family grows and becomes the people group now called Israel. But there's this huge problem because the
1: Israelites are enslaved to this king of the Egyptians, a guy called Pharaoh. This guy is really bad news. Yeah, he's horrible. He he disregards their humanity. He brutally enslaves them. And he even orders that all of the Israelites' sons should be killed by throwing them into the Nile River. He wants to wipe these people out. He's the worst character in the Bible so far. Here's where we meet an
0: Israelite woman who wants to save her son.
1: And so she does throw him in the river but safely in this little reed basket. And Pharaoh's daughter finds this baby and takes him as her own. And this is the boy who grows up to become Moses, the man who will rescue
0: Israel from slavery. So Moses grows up, and one day much later in his life, he has this crazy encounter with God where he comes across a bush that's on fire But it isn't actually burning up. And God speaks from the bush. And he appoints Moses as
1: the man he will use to deliver Israel.
0: So Moses goes to Pharaoh to tell him this this news that God wants his people free. And Pharaoh, he just
1: pretty much laughs at him. He's like, who's this God Yahweh? And in fact, he's so offended by this request, he decides to make the Israelites work even harder.
0: So discouraged, Moses goes back to God and says, listen, this plan's not going to work
1: but God repeats his promise that he's going to rescue them and in fact it's right here for the first time in the Bible that we hear the word redemption it literally
0: just means to purchase a
1: slave's freedom but God here uses this word to describe what he's
0: going to do for enslaved Israel and God knows Pharaoh is going to resist so he sends 10 different plagues one after another like turning water into blood sending all sorts of pests and disease these plagues are Really severe.
1: They are severe, but we need to understand that the story is presenting these as acts of divine justice against one of the worst oppressors in the story of the Bible, and they're all
0: aimed at the purpose of rescuing these enslaved people and defeating the gods of Egypt. This all comes to a climax at the tenth plague, where God's going to kill the firstborn sons across all Egypt. Every house—it's pretty rough. It is, but it's also God's response for how Pharaoh killed the Israelite sons. Now as you turn the page, you suddenly get two long chapters of detailed instructions for what's essentially throwing a dinner party with a recipe for a lamb. Yeah, but this lamb is super important.
1: God tells the Israelites to pick it out and to prepare it to be eaten. And they're supposed to take its blood and then paint it all over the doorframe of their house. And anyone who is in that house will be spared from this final plague. And so this meal, which is called Passover, it commemorates this key moment in the story where God brings his justice on human evil, but also shows mercy
0: by providing this This final plague makes Pharaoh angry, and he demands that Israel gets out of Egypt, which is great. But suddenly, as they leave, Pharaoh changes his mind. He has a change of heart. But on top of that, we're also told that
1: God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Why would God do that? Well, what we need to remember is that over and over in this story, Pharaoh has already chosen to harden his own heart. And so at this point, Pharaoh, he's not just evil, he's become monstrously evil. Even his own advisors think that he has gone way too far and so how is God supposed to deal with such an extreme form of evil? And what we see in this story is that God uses his power to lure evil into its own destruction. Pharaoh and his army are destroyed in the Red Sea as Israel passes into freedom. And after this we find the very first song of worship in the Bible as the people praise God for redeeming them. And it's in this story that the word salvation is also used for the first time, which means simply to be rescued from
0: danger. Now that they're saved, you would think that everything should be great. But the story quickly turns. The Israelites start wandering in the desert. They're tired, hungry, lost. And you start to wonder, what's God doing? What were they saved for?
1: And we learn the answer to that question in the very next story, which ties the two parts of this whole book together.
2: Don't you just love a good story? Oh my goodness. We could park for weeks. Could we not? In the story. Of the Exodus. And what God did. In freeing the Israelites from the bondage. That they fell into. In Egypt. Powerful God. Some questionable kinds of plagues. Even for us. But God was redeeming his people. He was saving his people out of bondage. Now, we look back on that story, and we're endeared to it, sort of distant past, right? Way back in this timeline. But the reality is, you can live in a free America and be in bondage yourself. Maybe in bondage to some addictive behavior. Maybe in bondage to fear because some situations in life. Maybe bondage to your own aspirations that drive you hard every week in your warhouse. Maybe bondage that someone knows and they're helping you through it. Maybe bondage that someone does not know. Maybe it's not bondage in the sense of something bad that you're doing, but a situation that you have found yourself in. And you're crying out God, we need a Redeemer. God, I need a savior. God, I need you to provide a way out of this situation. And so we cry out. Sometimes we mumble and complain to a friend, a relative, a co-worker. But they can't really do anything about your situation, about your bondage. The rescue that you need. Who do you cry out to? Well you need to cry out to God. And you need to cry out to a God who cares. And who is able. And has you still in the middle of the story. The God who wants to bless you. So that you can be a blessing. He's not forsaken you. He's not lost you. Sometimes maybe he's slow to answer a prayer or he's got some purposes to to make you more like Christ or to get you to see some things maybe you hadn't seen before. But God has not abandoned you. And I just want to tell you that this morning. I, I don't know where you're at and what's going on in your life. But God's not abandoned you. And the God that delivered the Israelites through the Red Sea from Pharaoh and began to move them towards the promised land is the God who has the power and the ability and the desire to help you in your need. So what is your need that you're crying out to for God to rescue you from this morning? I want to take a moment to pray for you if you're in that place. And I want to do so by giving an example of a text that my wife Melissa just got as she stepped off of this platform from worship. This text is from our friends, the Hoopers. Some of you know that after graduation this last spring, the Hooper's children were in a tragic car accident. Someone ran in a red light that their son, who had just graduated, he was driving and his girlfriend was killed. And his sister, badly injured, with a brain injury, and is still in a comatose type of state today. Needing help, we don't forget one another in trying to pray for them. And whether it's your need or this particular need that came from the Hooper family, I want us to have a moment to pray. The text is this, it's from Sarah Hooper. And Sarah, if you're watching, we are pausing to pray for you, to pray for Mike, to pray for Gavin, to pray for Landis. Can you please pray for Landis today? Pray for Dr. A to approve her move to Craig Hospital in Colorado. Can we boldly declare this for her? Out loud in church, we need God to hear us. We're in such a place of despair. Melissa, to my wife. This is so hard. My faith and hope is melting. And I'm trying to stay strong. But in this storm, it's so hard to do so. You see, it's just not stories about ancient Israelites crying out to God. It's stories about us crying out to God. And so I want to pray out loud for Landis this morning that this strategic move when you're caught up in the medical world, you know, decisions are being made and sometimes you're without hope in how to get those decisions made for what you feel is right and being an advocate for your child. If you've ever been there, it's a tough place. We're going to pray that the hand of God opens up a way for Landis to go to this hospital for continued care and rehab because we will intercede not only with our prayers, but we will intercede this morning with faith and hope on behalf of the Hoopers. And included in this prayer is your particular need where you need God to deliver you. Will you pray with me? Lord, this morning it's not about just going through the motions of a service again. Having some worship time, announcements, and having a Bible message. Lord, this is real stuff that all of us are living. In this, your story. And we pray here this morning, God, in your name. The name that's above every name. The name by which every knee shall bow on heaven on earth and in earth under the earth. The name by which... Satan has been defeated. And death is no more. Because of the resurrection, our death can turn to eternal hope and life everlasting with you. We pray in that name. Your name, Jesus. That you would open up a path for Landis Hooper to make her way to this hospital in Colorado, so that she can continue to be healed by your divine hand. And through doctor's care, through rehab, Lord, that she would be restored. That all that was messed up when her head hit that terrible situation in that wreck, Lord, that you would renew and remake her mind and allow her to return health for your glory Jesus be glorified deliver her and Lord we pray for Mike and Sarah and the kids that you would take the whole family and hold them dear to you and lift them up on eagle's wings and give them strength and Lord now here not at the end of service here in this moment during the middle of service we pray for anyone else with heads bowed and eyes closed, if there is somebody in this room that needs the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, to rescue them or heal a situation that you need prayer for, I want you to stand right now in acknowledgement of your need of prayer. Maybe it's for you, maybe it's for someone you know. Lord Jesus, you see your people standing in a place of prayer. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph, of Moses, we pray that you would intervene and work on behalf of these situations that need rescue. These situations that need your power to redeem. Whether it's the brokenness of a person's life emotionally, spiritually or the brokenness physically, we pray for intervention in the lives of everybody that's represented here that's standing before you. Lord, may you strengthen even their inner spirit as they continue to pray and to minister and bring encouragement. And may you, Lord Jesus Christ, show yourself as a Savior for your glory. May you bless these people in these situations so that they can be a blessing. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for those moments. Sometimes I feel as pastor, as we move through a Sunday morning, it's like, oh, now we're at the end of service. What do we need to do and have a response? That sometimes it's okay just to have a response in the middle I remember when I was at youth camp as a young youth worker one time when God's glory came down and we didn't get past worship. And people started to come and fill the altars and God used that year's camp to change and transform a lot of young people's lives that today are serving the purposes of God. So we are here not to go through a program to do the deal. We are here to seek the presence of God. Thank you for those moments. Continue to pray for Landis in this situation as we bring it back forward to us as a church body and them being a part of our church family from years past. Would clarify the timeline? The story of God, the creation in the fall, we were at that. The promise in the people last week and Today, we're at rescue in law. The family of Israelites become a nation while living in Egypt. I remember they went to Egypt because of the famine, and Joseph had been taken there, much to not the plan of his brothers who sold him as a slave in Egypt. And uh, Joseph rose to second highest rank in Egypt at a crucial time. But they also become enslaved while they're there, though, because after Joseph died, there were leaders that knew not Joseph. And so they fell into slavery as a minority people group. But then God raises up Moses. Moses was actually, Abraham was his third great-grandfather. Joseph was his great-uncle came through the line of Levi, who was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. So God raises up Moses. He saves Moses when Pharaoh was asking all the midwives to slaughter, literally kill, any newborn male child because Pharaoh was in a state of fear that there were going to be problems in his Egyptian kingdom. But Moses was saved through the process as depicted in the video Uh, in the Nile River, and he wasn't drowned like the midwives were told to drown all the males. And so God raises up Moses and speaks to him through the burning bush to lead his people to freedom, to freedom. And during the 10th plague, God strikes dead the firstborn son of everyone living in Egypt, which we say, how cruel and incredible is that? But we don't know the evil that was happening at that time and God's justice and all of it. And so the firstborn son of every Egyptian was stricken dead, including Pharaoh's, if they did not put the blood over the frame of the door to their house. But God passes over Israel, those who place the blood over the frame of the door's to their house as they put the blood of the lambs on their doorpost. This blood of the lambs was symbolic and there was so much decree given because it was a foreshadowing of what? It was a foreshadowing of Jesus and Jesus shedding his blood. And if we allow his blood, I know that sounds sort of gory, but blood represents his life. If we allow Jesus' life to cover us and to change us from the inside out as we place faith in Jesus and, and we begin to walk with Christ in faith, then that covering for us forgives us from our sins. And so it's a whole foreshadowing with the lamb's blood on the doorpost. And after miraculously rescuing his people through the Red Sea, and the Red Sea then collapsing back on all the Egyptians and their army, Pharaoh, God gives his people the law. He also instructs them to build a tabernacle and to offer sacrifices so that he may dwell among them. I would like to take just a few moments to reflect on this aspect of what happened after the Israelites got to the other side of the Red Sea with Moses as their leader, and they became a little bit disgruntled. They became disgruntled, and they began to complain. God provided them provisions of manna and quail and the the desert, but something was going amiss. There's probably about two million Israelites, they say, that were now in the Sinai desert, headed towards what they were told was the promised land, which was back in Cana of Galilee, Canaan, where we had said that Abraham had moved to. Before then, they got shipped down into Egypt because of the need for food, and then came into bondage. He was sending them back to the promised land, which is modern-day Israel, a land filled with milk and honey, but they were in the desert experience, and they were struggling. They were struggling, and God saw that they were becoming disobedient. He saw that they had no boundaries. He saw that they were scattering from worshiping him. And so God comes to the Israelites on this mountain called Mount Sinai in the Sinai Peninsula in the desert. And if you've got your scriptures, I'm just going to have us turn there and we'll try to work our way through at least this Exodus 19 story. And so if you pick it up, chapter 19 of Exodus, and by the way, if you ever wonder why the word Exodus is there, it's about exiting out of Egypt, right? So this is the story of their exit out of bondage, out of Egypt. Their dilemma, needing rescue, right? And so we have this then in Exodus chapter 19. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Epidem, They entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of this mountain. So they're three months in, and they're in a desert kind of area, going to the promised land, right? You ever been there, sitting in the desert? God's told you something's going to happen, and it's not been happening. And you're like, I need that to happen. I feel God's promised me, but you're not there. And you're sort of stuck wandering, roaming. Sitting, getting dusty, getting cranky too. And you're like, God, are you, are you going to do something? Well, God sees them. He hears them. And it says this in verse 3. Then Moses, he went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel, I wish, I wish I was in seminary where you had an hour and a half classes where you could just lecture. I can't do that. I'm definitely on the clock this morning. I know that. I want you to take time to read in Exodus this week. And if you're on the deep dive journey, and by the way, everybody's invited to show up on Wednesday nights at 630 for our deep dive and go through it. It's, it's not an insider club. Just come and we'll get you in a group and you continue to unpack this master narrative of, of the journey that we're all going through as a church. Even if you're brand new this morning, come. By the way, we actually have somebody that stepped forward to do a meal again this week. It's going to be a really good one. They're providing it. 5.45 p.m. Wednesday. Come for pasta, meatballs, chicken, and Mac and cheese. They're providing it for 100 people. So you can pray for them. Thank you. He knows who she is. But we have a meal together. And then we're going to study it together. I I, I feel like it's just so cheap of me. To just throw out a few verses. And here and there. Okay now we're done. I mean. This is a great story, and I hope you're endearing yourself to the story in the deep dive study, and, and if not, you can just, just take the scriptures and, and read through Exodus and pop here and there. I spent a lot of time uh, sort of doing the Exodus thing this week, and I'm like, okay, what do I pull out from there? So we're, we're here in chapter 19. Verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles wings and brought you to myself god said that isn't that an incredible statement you should underline that one do you not see how i carried you on eagles wings when we pray for sarah and mike and for landis we're saying carry them on eagles wings carry them and maybe you're at that place that you need to be carried on eagles' wings. Well, this is what God said. He told Moses. He says, tell your people, did you not see what I did? I brought you. I rescued you out of that bondage, out of that pathway of life that was just a dead ender. And I've set you on a place where you've been brought to me. Verse 5. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What's he doing right there? He's reminding them of the promise. I told you, I put you on eagle's rings, I brought you out, I'm heading into the promised land, and you need to know this, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to all people. Now today you have a lot of news here or there about different people groups around the world, and one of those is the Jewish people, and how God brought the Jewish people back to the land of Israel after World War II and all that kind of thing. And well, what about the Jewish people and the Israelites? And does God still have a plan for them? Well, yay, nay and all that, all I know is we've been adopted now into this whole promise and this family. And God is saying, I blessed you to be a blessing. I blessed you that you might be a kingdom of priests. What's a priest do? A priest represents people before God. So these people you're praying for, some of the crisis you're in, maybe it's with someone else, you are called to be a priest, someone to help represent them before God. And God says here to Moses, you remind these people, man. I know it's dusty down there and they're a little cranky, but you need to let them know that the whole earth is mine and that I am redeeming them to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation of people. You see, you can go all the way down here to where we're going to end up on this timeline, this idea of a new people, and the idea of a better beginning. God's, God's got the story and drama going on, and He's not going to hold back. So what you have in Exodus 19 is God speaking to Moses to speak to the people. So it says this in verse Seven, so Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And Moses said, and the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Ooh. A hand is to be, not to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the Lord's, the ram's horn sounds a long blast, may they approach the mountain. This is a sacred holy moment. And by the way, we often think of Moses going up the mountain, Mount Sinai. He did But do you know how many times in this whole story narrative, in this chapter of history, if you will, he goes up the mountain? Do you know? This is one of those things that we had the hour and a half lecture, we could get into it more. He goes up seven different times. He goes up, comes down. It was probably about the height, they believe, of like Big Bear. Big Bear is about 7,000 square uh, feet elevation. If you're down at the bottom of that, take maybe four hour, four and a half hour hike up. I don't know. He would... Hike up, and then he would come back down. He would hike up and come back down, right? And we think in terms of the Ten Commandments and all that he got as a part of that being on the top. Well, I tell you what, this story sort of implies that it wasn't the just at the top. It was when God descended on Mount Sinai and he spoke to all the masses of people. So it says this in verse, in chapter 19. Verse 12, he's talking about putting limits around the mountain and tell them to be mindful of the sacredness of this moment. Verse 14, after Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them. They washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day abstain from sexual relations. On the morning, verse 16, of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in a fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke And the voice of God answered him. So he's down in the valley. He's with the people. The clouds descending, thunder, lightning. All right, maybe there's some some people think it's a volcanic kind of mountain or whatever. But it's like it, it was moving and shaking and all that was a part of it. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain again. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people so that they do not force their way through to see God and many of them perish. Even the priest who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai because you yourselves warned us and we ain't going there. You said put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. And the Lord replied, Okay. Go down and bring Aaron up with you, but the priest and the people must not force their way through to come up to God, or he will break out against them. So Moses, verse 25, chapter 19. Moses went down to the people and told them. So where's Moses at in this particular moment? He's now back down at the bottom of the mountain. And what do we get at the bottom of the mountain? Do you know what we get? We get the voice of God speaking Ten Commandments, so they all hear. Ten Commandments, can't anchor there, but they're pretty simple, right? Maybe we remember them, maybe we don't. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above and on the earth beneath or in the waters below you shall not bow down to them or to worship them you shall not misuse the name of the lord your god for the lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name remember the sabbath day to keep it holy six days you shall labor and do all your work but on the seventh day is the sabbath to do uh, sabbath to the lord your god honor honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord has given you, is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servants, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Ten Commandments. But if I'm hearing it in the voice of God, I'm like, okay, gotcha. Okay. They were sort of a lawless people. It was becoming that way. But God did not give them the law. God does not give us his commands in Scripture to try to save and redeem us. Catch this. This is critical. He rescued them first before he gave them the law. The law will never save you and redeem you. It'll put bondage in your life. And many people, maybe you come from that background, maybe you're in that background today. All the do's and don'ts aren't to kill your joy and to steal your freedom. God gives His commands to keep you in freedom. He rescued them. He came to them. He spoke to them. He gave them the Ten Commandments. Verse 18 of chapter 20, When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and they said to Moses, 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 speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Why do they say that? Because they're in a place of awe, a place of reverence, and even rightful fear of God. In my personal devotional time this week, I found myself there reflecting on this story. Lord, may I not just make You my... My kind little genie person. May I see you in all of your wonder and your glory. You want God to rescue you out of your situation? You need to worship Him in spirit and truth and who He is. You see, if you really want to worship God and have Him rescue and save and redeem you, then you don't get to pick the rules. You don't get to pick truth. You come to him and you hear from him. And you respond. And these people were at a place that they needed to respond. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thickness where God was. Some of you know the story from here it references that that voice was spoken the Ten Commandments Moses went back up on the mountain he was up there for 40 days and God blazed the Ten Commandments it was actually a lot more than 10 there's a 613 kind of things that were stated but they had to do with ceremonial instructions about how to worship It had to do with civil statutes, how to live as a civilized people. But the Ten Commandments are what embody the moral law that God gave. And so Moses is receiving all this. He comes down the mountain with the tablets, right? And what happened in those 40 days? They broke the first two commandments. They broke the first two commandments and they had made a golden calf that they were worshiping. Moses smashed the golden tablets. He was so angry. God came and He smit 3,000 people that refused to turn in repentance that day. Vast majority, 2 million, right? Vast majority repent and turn to Him and God's presence becomes a part of their journey as they move forward. But God's law was given not to destroy His people, but to keep them in freedom. But they did not take God serious. And so I encourage you, as I encourage myself this week, to obey the law of God. Not to restrict my life, but to keep my life in a place of freedom. You and I give instructions to our kids, and we give boundaries to where they can play. Why? So they do not harm themselves. Now God took all the commandments of the Old Testament, and in Jesus, he summed them up up this way. Jesus said, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord your God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these two. So as God has rescued you, as he's blessed you to be a blessing, to be a priest and a kingdom of priests to other people to help, you need to, to line up and say, Lord, help me by your power to obey your commandments for its freedom. And those commandments can be summed up in love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love other people as yourself. I close as the worship team comes. The Apostle Paul, he saw the whole Master story. And he found himself after Jesus on this timeline trying to raise up godly people that were full of the Holy Spirit and purposes of God. But those people came under bondage from teachers that were telling them, just obey the rules, obey the rules, do this, don't do that, obey the rules, you're not in if you don't do this, you're out if you do that. Paul was just sick of it. They were Christians in a place called Galatia. And so he came and instructed them, why the law was given was for the purpose of knowing boundaries to keep you in freedom and to respond to the gods whose presence is there. And he says this in Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I trust that whatever place you find yourself in today, that you need to be rescued from and it may be that you need to be rescued from a place of sin and indifference and double mindedness that you will turn to the God who is an awesome powerful overwhelming God at times and realize that the word became flesh in Jesus Christ no man has seen God at any time even Moses couldn't see God Moses was told by God when he went back up the mountain that time so you can hide in the crevice of the rock, you can't behold my glory. No man has seen God at any time, it says in the Gospel of John, but he who is in the bosom of the Father, which is God's Son, Jesus, He has revealed Him. That if you're in a place of bondage and concern, that you turn and endear yourself to a great and awesome God, but you're endearing yourself to Jesus and His work on your behalf to set you free. And if you've been set by, free by Jesus this morning, don't you dare fall back into that bondage of seeing the law and the rules as a means of salvation or standing before God even. You see them as a way to worship God and live in obedience to Him and stay free. Lord Jesus, this morning across this room, anyone that's in bondage, that needs to be rescued, that needs to be saved. May you reveal yourself to them and may they, even as we sing here, turn their life to you and surrender by simple statements of repentance, turning from sin and indifference and turning to you and say, take charge and leadership in my life. And God, may you bless your people so that they can be a blessing to others, but so that they can also worship and bring glory to you. We love you, God. Your story, God, we are so, so grateful that you've written us into it. We worship you. Amen. The worship team is going to lead us. Ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings. On the back of your Connect card, if there is a need that you have of spiritual growth or salvation, you can mark that. We'd love to follow up with you. Ushers come. Team, let's sing.